Welcome to the Running Explained podcast. I'm Elizabeth, a marathoner, running coach, and answer seeker. When I became a new runner at the age of 29, I had so many questions, but I had no idea where to go for answers. So with Running Explained, I'm here to answer all your running questions to help make you a better, smarter, faster runner. There's no question too simple and no topic too complex. So let's get started. My guest this week is Carmen Shudo. Carmen is a Las Vegas-based runner and student of physical therapy studying to work specifically with runners and athletes one day in his own private practice. You might know him on Instagram as Chocolate Milk Runner. And he joins me now. Carmen, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So first off, I want to hear your running story, how you became a runner, uh, what your current running situation is now, and then how you ended up in physical therapy school, hoping to work with runners, I assume, in the future. Definitely. Yeah, that's definitely the goal. Um, So with running, you know, back in the day, I ran cross country track in high school. And to be honest, I really didn't like it at all. I did it as something just to kind of stay in shape or the other sports I played because I've been playing sports, you know, basketball, baseball, my whole life. So I kind of just ran to stay in shape for stuff like that. Um, I actually played lacrosse in college and I kind of ran just to stay in shape and just, you know, I just love the competitiveness of sport. <laughs> and so I picked up running after I graduated college because I wasn't playing any more sports. And I found out I really liked it when I could, you know, do it at my own pace. And it wasn't always about competition and stuff like that. And I just really fell in love with it. And in terms of physical therapy, there was really no kind of aha moment for me, like people say they have some careers. Um, you know, I just love being active and I wanted an active career. I didn't want some nine to five sitting jobs. I love, you know, moving and working with people. And I also really had a passion for business too. And I wanted to incorporate that as well. And, you know, most business jobs are nine to five. So I was looking for something to be active while doing some business as well. So I graduated with my bachelor's in kinesiology, exercise science, and I was really between medical school and PT school. And, you know, ultimately I chose PT school because I thought it was more active, more hands-on, and, you know, I could have that business side to it as well. And if I'm being honest, there was a lot of the chemistry classes too. When I took the intro to chemistry, um, it was the hardest B I ever got in my life, to be honest. Um, So I didn't want to do the organic chemistry and stuff like that the medical school required. So uh, physical therapy was what I chose and I stuck with it. And now here I am is almost a third year student. That's fantastic. Uh, as somebody who was pre-med, I was going to go, I, my, my undergraduate degrees in psychology, and I originally wanted to be a psychiatrist via the med school route. And yeah, I mean, there's a reason those classes are so hard because you really have to want to commit yourself to medical school uh, right, and definitely. get through it. So that definitely sounds, yeah. I mean, PT school, um, that sounds like the best of both worlds in terms of what your, you know, your career path, and then just kind of the flexibility it gives you to have the life you want to lead. Because med school, I mean, that's that's an intense, long slog. So that's awesome. Right. Um, right. So today we're going to talk about a broad overview of common running injuries. And actually, the reason that we connected is that you post these fantastic reels on Instagram just about training. And you posted one that I loved about um, heel raises, uh, targeting, you know, calf raises. And I mostly know about calf raises because of uh, heel, concentric heel drops or eccentric heel drops. You'll be able to correct me on this. But when you, (laughs) um, that is an, uh, an, a, 
exercise you can do when you're trying to treat um, Achilles injuries or working on calf strength. So I just, I really love the stuff that you're doing. And I was like, ah, I got to have him on the show. So I'm very excited that you're here to talk about just a broad overview of common running injuries. So we're going to go through and discuss the really like super major, when you hear hooves, think horses, not zebras, types of injuries that a runner might experience. And first of all, describing what the common symptom of that injury is, right? So you might say like, oh, IT band or, oh, um, you know, labral tear. That's hopefully not a common running injury, but, you know, somebody might say, I don't even know what the symptoms of that are. Like, tell me more. So we'll be talking about that as well. So the very first thing I want to ask your opinion on is when a, a runner is experiencing an injury, a twinge, a niggle, a knock, whatever it is, when is it time to go see a professional versus just take a couple of days off and maybe do some extra strengthening exercises at home. Right. So it really depends on that individual, on how serious they are about their level, their level of competitiveness. And, um, you know, I might seem a little biased here, but I really think every person or every active person whose activity is important to them should see a physical therapist. That's because we, as physical therapists, are as good as preventing injuries as we are as treating them. You know, a lot of people don't really know that. They think physical therapists, you're injured, that's what you go see. But we have just as much skill and knowledge in preventing injuries. You know, we're literally movement experts. And although nothing can be 100% prevented, uh, the research shows that preventative care is far, far more better than post-injury care in terms of treatment time, obviously, and especially cost. You know, you think people get like a physical every year for their vitals and stuff like that, too. And if you're someone who takes your movement and your activity or running very seriously, I mean, you should want to get that checked out, too, every so often. Make sure you're moving correctly and moving efficiently. But that, too, you know, physical therapists get really individualized home exercises they can do, too. Because a lot of, you see a lot of people on Instagram who will say, oh, you have neck pain or you have like foot pain. Do this exercise and it should help. And a lot of times, you know, they're great exercises and stuff too, but it's not, it doesn't always fit the person, you know, you, there can be tons and tons of reasons why you're feeling that pain. And it could be something in the knee or the hip. And if you're just working on that foot strength and your ankle or something, you know, you're not going to fix the root of that problem. And physical therapists can identify those weaknesses and compensations that you're feeling. Um, but in terms of like, if you start with like a nagging injury, I don't know. It really depends on the person again. If you want to push through it and see how it feels, if you want to try some different stretching, strengthening to kind of target what you're feeling. I, I guess the rule of thumb is if you run through it and it gets worse, it's, it's time to make a change. Yeah. My, my personal rule and the things I tell my athletes is if it's, first of all, if it's a sudden onset and if it happens in the middle of your run or you warm up and it gets worse, right. then those are like, stop take some time because you're hundred percent right in terms of the, the prevention aspect of it. Yes. And I actually, I think the insurance thing is like morbidly fascinating and I could talk about that as well for hours, but you know, to even pay out of pocket for many people for one physical therapy visit a year, just to have, like you said, that checkup, your movement checkup, get your individual exercises is way more cost-effective than getting an injury that may have been preventable and then having to go see a physical therapist two or three times a week for weeks or months in order to address that injury correctly. So Definitely. yes, I am 100% agree with you in terms of prevention is the best if you can. 
And especially mm-hmm. if you know that you're an injury prone person, like people who run long enough tend to know what their um, pain points are, like what their weaknesses are, which side is their weak side, if they haven't, if they're an ankle issue person, if they're a knee issue person. So like getting ahead of that will just help you overall in the long run. So let's start off by talking about the Number one body part that I get questions about, we're going to talk about very common knee-related running pain issues, that sort of thing. So one of the most common is IT band syndrome, so iliotibial band syndrome. Can you describe briefly what the common symptoms of IT band syndrome are and then give us a little lesson on what's going on there? Yeah, so the IT band, I think first and foremost, it's very important to understand that IT band itself is not a muscle. So although it can get tight, it doesn't get tight the same way a muscle does. So there's that big argument between should you roll your IT band or not. And that's really the basis of why you should or shouldn't, that argument right there. Um, But there is a muscle in your hip. It's called your tensor fascia latte or TFL for the abbreviation for it. It attaches from your hip to the IT band. And your IT band runs all the way down the side of your leg to your knee. And if that muscle gets tight there on your hip, that's what really pulls the IT band. And because the IT band goes to the outside of your knee, that's where you feel that knee pain from that tightness all the way in your hip. So that's something that a lot of runners target too from rolling an IT band. It's not really working for them. It could be because of that tight muscle in the hip. So that's pretty common with the uh, IT band. I mean, it's not always the cause, not always the case, but um, it's definitely the most the most common case, I would say. Yeah, and that's kind of a really good example to start with because it's like with so many running injuries, where the pain is, is usually not where the issue originates. So people like say like, oh, I have outer knee pain. I have to do something with my outer knee. Like when I started running and I first picked up IT band syndrome, because of course, you know, most runners do at some point. I was convinced I'd like torn a ligament, (laughs) like that I had had sort of like, you know, cruciate ligament trauma. And then doing a little Googling was like, and I learned about anatomy and I thought, oh, wow, I have this totally backwards. It's actually coming from my hip. So that's a, a very common issue with a lot of running injuries. So in terms of addressing IT band syndrome, would you have an opinion on when it's safe to run and work on your IT band, that hip tightness, that hip weakness, or... Like, I, I mean, I would tell my athletes, like, look, if it's not changing your gait, it's okay to run as long as you're comfortable. Right. That's definitely a good rule of thumb. I also think, too, um, again, it's not the case for everybody, but like we said earlier, if, if you warm up or you run and it gets worse, that's definitely a sign to stop. Um, with some injuries, especially the muscular injuries, if you run and warm up and it feels a little better, you know, it's okay to, I don't want to say push through them, but, you know, be able to run with less intensity or less mileage. So that's a good rule of thumb too. You do a little warm up, do a little jog, see if it gets better or worse, and then make your decision there. Absolutely. So moving right along to another very, very common running injury or running issue with runners is called runner's knee or patellofemoral syndrome. And it's called runner's knee for a reason, because this is an injury that strikes runners or people who do other repetitive foot strike uh, activities. Talk to us about what the very common signs of runner's knee are and what's going on there. Right. So like you said, patellofemoral pain syndrome. So it's important to understand to break down that patellofemoral word. Uh, the runner's knee is basically the, uh, the ligament that goes from your patella, your kneecap, to your thigh bone, your femur, you know, patellofemoral. So that's where the pain really starts. But again, it's not always the, uh, the root of the injury, you should say. And, and we'll go through it a lot as we go through the whole list here. You know, like you just said, the the root of the injury isn't always where it hurts. And, you know, the, the patellofemoral pain syndrome, the word syndrome 
just encompasses a lot of things that mean pain. And again, so there's tons of causes to runner's knee, and they're usually from compensating due to weakness from somewhere else. And usually it's in the hips because a lot of what we what we hear and say in physical therapy school is um, proximal stability precedes distal mobility. So you got to keep yourself stable in your hips and your core before you start moving your knees and your arms and the outer parts of your body more efficiently. So usually runner's knee, again, is usually caused by some sort of weakness in the core or the hips area, and you're putting too much pressure on your knee to be able to compensate for that weakness, and your knee just can't handle that increase of you know workload so much. And so the symptom of a lot of these things we're talking about, we talk about the thing like, oh, I feel pain in blah, blah, blah. Um, that's usually inflammation that we're talking about, right? Like the inflammation of either a muscle or a tendon or an attachment point, like that, that's usually what the pain is being caused by, right? Yep. In most cases, I would say. So for an immediate thing, like if somebody's like, oh, I, I have runner's knee or I have IT band syndrome, I know I need to address the root cause by dealing with my hips or my core strength, that kind of thing. But would it be helpful for them in the immediate, like the moment to apply any ice or compression to an area like that? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to get too caught up in saying, you know, treat the root and the root only. It's definitely, you know, we definitely want to get rid of the pain and, you know, the immediate treatment is definitely, you know, ice stretching, whatever makes that pain relief is, is that's, that's what your go-to is going to be. But in terms of like the long-term, you don't want to apply ice for every day for a month and hope to get better because, you know, if, if the root of the injury is something else, it's going to come back later. Yeah. If you're icing your knee every day after you run, if you are taking ibuprofen every day to deal with a running related injury, like that is bad news. You should not be taking Advil every day because of a knee, a running related knee injury or a knee pain. Uh, let's, so we're just kind of going right around the knee. So this is one I do get questions about too. And I, I sometimes feel like this is a self-diagnosed question that I get, but about inner knee pain. And people are saying, I have bursitis, which is an inflammation of the bursa. And you can talk more about that. Um, and yes, it does happen. I don't know how common it is relative to the other more like ligament and tendon type knee issues. But can you describe like what bursitis is and what's actually going on and how one might treat it if you do actually have it? Yeah. So anything with that ends in itis, itis just means inflammation. So Bursitis is inflammation of the bursa in your knee and the inner part of your knee. Again, this is a very, I don't want to say very less common, but definitely less common than you know, any other knee injuries that you have as a runner. It's usually associated with what we call knee valgus. So if you kind of stand up straight or look when you run, if your thighs are moving very much inward and not straight down, um, that's, that's what we call knee valgus. You kind of take that angle between your thigh and your hip and see how, how much more inward your thigh goes. And that's putting a lot of pressure on your knees kind of uneven pressure on the outside or inside of your knees. And again, it's something that's really due to compensation because of weakness somewhere else. And it's usually the glute medius muscles, the outside of the hips that runners always say, you know, we should work on a lot. Usually that can lead to a lot of things. And one of those is bursitis in the knee. So what I'm hearing from all of these knee things that we just talked about is you probably need to work on hip strength and hip stability in order to uh, work on the long-term root cause of some of these issues. Yeah, I wouldn't say... In every case, but in a lot of the cases, the hip is a very underappreciated part of runners. And also explains why a lot of new runners experience knee 
issues and injuries because I mean, especially in today's world, like we're all sitting down most of the time anyways. And then for people who don't have that hip strength and hip stability and mobility yet, they start running and like it, it's just really, it creates additional pressure on the knee joint. And it's almost like no wonder they end up with knee pain. Right. Definitely. And then again, too, with the, with the people who just start running, it's a lot of the uh, too much too soon too. I'd say that's, that's the really the biggest thing of the injuries that happen. If you go from no running to a lot of running, you know, just in a week or two, or when you're coming back from an injury and you feel better and you pick up right where you left off, it's usually a recipe for an injury right there. Yeah. And we'll talk about some of the, uh, a, a huge, too much too soon injury in a little bit, but let's, uh, let's move up the chain and I get questions about hip pain outside of the hip. When I run, I, I feel hip pain. And of course, when you're like getting DMS from people, it's hard to tell, like describe the pain. Is it burning? Is it a stinging? Is it a stabbing? Is it an ache? Is it, you know, that kind of thing. But when it comes to running and hip pain, what are some of the things that might be going on if somebody comes to you and says, I have hip pain and I'm a runner? You really want to find out where that is. You know, around the front of the hip and the side of the hip and the back of the hip are three completely different, you know, parts of the body. So first and foremost, you want to find out exactly where that is. And again, identify any tightness or weakness and then just go from there. The hip flexors, I feel like a lot of people are very focused on hip flexors these days and about needing to like stretch their hip flexors. Um, Tell us what the hip flexors are. And is that something that you can stretch? What does it do? Yeah, you can definitely stretch them. Um, Hip flexors are usually tight in almost everybody because again, we're all sitting down every day and the position that our thighs and when we're sitting down, we're really, you know, shortening those hip flexor muscles. The hip flexors bring your, your knee and your thigh up to your body. So if you're in this position where you're sitting down all day, you're, you're just resting in that position and it's really shortening those muscles. Whereas if you kind of straighten your leg and push it back, you feel that nice stretch in your upper quad area. And those might be your hip flexors that you're stretching. So they're usually tight, especially in runners who use them with every day with every stride they run in. But just because they're tight doesn't necessarily mean that there's an injury or even a risk for an injury. But however, you know, again, if they're tight, they could lead to compensation elsewhere down the chain in your knees, your ankles. But and we'll talk about that when we get there. But the big thing with hip flexors is that really, if, if you're, they're too tight, you won't be able to have that hip extension that you need to really lengthen your stride. So that's a really big, important thing too, for just running efficiency and being a better runner. If you have a shortened stride length because your hip flexors are tight, it's just, it's, you know, it's, it's going to make you a less efficient runner than where you could be if you had that um, just longest stride. So instead of running multiple miles a week to try to run harder, run better, if you're not getting that hip extension, it could be as simple as, you know, working on that hip flexor strength, stretching them for a week or two, and then seeing that huge difference in your stride length, you can get so much better just like that. For me, one of the big uh, signs that I need to spend a little bit more time working on my hip mobility and hip flexors and all of that is that my vertical oscillation ratio increases when I'm on my runs. And so for those of you who don't know, your vertical oscillation is just, it's just the measurement of how much you move up and down over the course of when you run. So Garmin likes to measure it for you. Uh, don't let it scare you. It's not something that you should live and die by, but it is, can be a helpful use of it, you know, piece of information. So for me, I noticed that my vertical oscillation tends to be uh, higher when I need to work on my hip mobility. Does that sound like those two things are related in your opinion? Definitely, definitely hip mobility. And I would also say um, just overall gait. I feel like when we get to talking about the ankle, the ankle, if you push up 
more than forward when you're running. It's a really subtle difference. You can't really see it. Just that it's just this huge difference in between if you're jumping forward versus if you're jumping upward. And again, that's that's something that really kind of diminishes your efficiency, your running economy as a runner. You know, you want that forward momentum more than you want the upward momentum. Um, but yeah, hip hip flexors and I guess just calf tightness or the way you run is are the two big contributors to your vertical oscillation. So let's stick up near the hips uh, and the butt and talk about piriformis syndrome. Because when people say, oh, I feel a twinge in my in my butt, right? When they're talking about their butt muscles, it's usually not their glute medius or their glute maximus, like the big glute muscles. It can sometimes be piriformis syndrome. And piriformis is a much smaller muscle compared to those other big muscle groups. Talk to us about what piriformis pain feels like uh, compared to big glute pain and what might be going on there. Yeah. So the big glute pain, you'll feel more of just like a general soreness. Whereas with piriformis, um, if sometimes mistaken for sciatica, you feel like that sharp pinch, maybe some numbness and tingling. And that's because the, uh, that big sciatic nerve passes either through or just right behind that piriformis muscle. So if you're overworking that piriformis and doing too much too soon and just, just overworking it in general, you can really inflame that muscle and it can swell just a little bit and enough to pinch on that nerve. And that pinching is what you're feeling that's causing that piriformis syndrome. And again, typical causes are just like overuse or too much too soon, but it is mistaken very much for sciatica because it almost feels like, because it is the same sciatic nerve it's pinching on, but it's just for a different reason because of that tightness or inflammation of the piriformis muscle. So you'll feel like that sharp pinch or numbness and tingling in that, in that area on your butt. That's fascinating. I actually did not know that. And this is the other thing too, where it's like when you're trying to self-diagnose, like our, when we are trying to self-diagnose, our self-diagnosis is only as good as how much we know how to Google, right? <laughs> yeah, I would say so. <laughs> I would say so. Okay. Let's move on down. I mean, there aren't a lot of common running injuries on the upper body, uh, but it's still important to work your upper body to to make your whole running stride and your gait and your body strong. And we're, so let's still talk about, not about running injuries on your upper body, but talk about how your upper body and your core are important to keep strong and how that works with moving yourself through your running gait cycle. Right, definitely. So the um, that whole quote, the proximal stability precedes distal mobility. You need that that stability in your core and your hips to be able to move your limbs more efficiently and, and put them where you want them and stuff like that. So that's where really the strength training comes in for your upper body and, and your core, because when you're, you know, your knees only move in two directions. So it's really your hips and your core that decide where your knees are going to land and where they're going to go. And if they're not strong enough to be able to do that for every stride for however many miles you're running, that's where a lot of those other problems are going to come from. So that's where the, um, the importance comes in and strengthening your core and your upper body too, and especially with the coordination in your stride. I know most of us have easy coordination, but um, you know when you're running, you obviously want to alternate your arms and your legs. And so incorporating that into your upper body workout is something that can transfer over to your running gait also. And can help when you're on, you know, doing workouts or on race day. I'll never forget. Um, I did a half marathon. I took a break from running a couple of years ago, and then I came back and did a half marathon as like my first big race back. And I was my I was so 
tense in my upper body that by like mile eight, I had this weird cramping behind my right shoulder blade uh, because I was so like locked up in my upper body. I hadn't done like any upper body strength. I hadn't worked on my core. It was just a weird race in general, but it was really the first time that I realized like, oh, I probably do need to pay attention to my upper body because it's my whole body that's moving forward. It's not just my legs. Right. Obviously you're not running with your arms or you don't need that arm strength per se, but the, uh, the mobility of it and to be able to endure, you're moving your upper body the entire time. So to be able to endure that movement for, you know, a half marathon or a marathon for hours at a time, it's important to, to you know, work on that because the average person without, without moving that can experience some tightness, you know, moving it for hours. So that's, 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 that's very important too, to be able to have that mobility in your arms and your upper body and just your entire body because when you're running, you're moving your entire body, right? So that's, that's where it's really important. Yeah. And a core, I mean, I'll go back to what you just said about core. It's so important to have a strong core because if you don't have a strong core, like it doesn't matter how strong your legs and your hips are, your core is the thing that's going to keep your body upright. And when you start failing to keep your body upright, you are not going to have an enjoyable rest of your race (laughs) or workout or whatever it is that you're running. Yep. Yeah. You nailed it. Exactly. Let's move on down the chain. So we did hips and butt. We did knees. Well, okay, first of all, let me ask you, um, talking about our, our big muscle groups and our upper thighs, our quads on the front and our hamstrings on the back, those muscle groups can become strained. So it is possible to experience a muscle strain. What, does, what are the symptoms of a muscle strain and how does one usually treat that? A strain, you're going to feel a strain usually from overuse, and it'll feel like once you start to move the muscle, no matter where it's at, that immediate kind of contraction is where you really feel it. Once that tendon starts pulling on the bone is where you're going to feel that strain the most. So if it hurts right when you start moving it, that's typically a good sign of a strain. Um, A good treatment for it, I know we talked about it earlier a little bit, just any eccentric exercises. You know, you could do them for any part of the body. And the difference between eccentric and concentric is when eccentrically so think of a bicep curl right you're bringing that weight up to your body and your bicep is shortening that's a concentric contraction whereas when you're bringing up the weight down your bicep is lengthening but it's still active that's an eccentric contraction so if you do hamstring curls when you're straightening your leg bringing that weight down you want to be able to control that movement nice and slow with the weight and that's what we call like an eccentric movement and those are really putting a lot of good strain on the tendons that could be strained. And that's usually the go-to treatment for any kind of strain in any part of the body, you know, hamstrings, quads, Achilles, we see that a lot in calf strains, you know, the calf raises going up and then going down nice and slow, working on that controlled movement. Uh, The eccentric exercises are usually the go-to for any kind of strains. A lot of people, when they experience a, you know, an injury that is not life-threatening, but is like a strain or a a twinge or a a soreness, they typically just rest, like they stop running and they try to rest until the injury is better and they don't feel pain anymore. But you just described, and obviously like if it's painful, like you do need to rest initially to let immediate, like the acute inflammation subside, but the treatment for injury is not just rest. As you just described for muscle strains, the treatment for an injury like that is actually targeted movement and strengthening. That's definitely a huge misconception in the injury physical therapy world that, you know, rest kind of heals everything. When, I mean, in time it does, 
But um, again, if you just rest and get back to it, you're going to experience the same injury over and over again. Whereas because the injury happened, it's usually the cause of a lack of strength somewhere or lack of mobility somewhere. And that's really movement is the key with any kind of rehab for any injury. We always say go to pain, but not through pain. So if you have like a hamstring kind of injury, you would still want to work and strengthen it. And, but don't push yourself to where it hurts where you're working out and doing stuff like that. Go to the motion like where it starts to feel the pain and then work, work in that motion where you feel the strength, but you don't feel the pain. And this is when working with a physical therapist is really beneficial because, you know, everybody's specific injury is different. Like you said before, you know, you could doing a routine that you find on Instagram for as rehab, like that might not be the thing that you need. And, you know, sometimes you get lucky and sometimes it's fine. Right. But if you're really dealing with an injury that won't go away and you've been addressing it with the things that you think should be addressing it. Uh, then it's really time to go seek professional advice because the longer that you let something like that linger, um, the worse it can become just, you know, you don't, you want to fix this stuff as soon as you can. You don't want to just let it linger and accumulate other issues because it changes the way that you move, the way you stand, the way you, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Definitely. Yeah. And I don't want to knock the people on Instagram who are showing these exercises either. You know, it's just, um, you know, it, it can't be bad for you to move and do exercises, but it might not be what you need to feel better is, is my only point. Yes. Oh, no, definitely. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're moving down to the lower legs. So let's talk about shin splints, the classic too much too soon injury. Tell us what shin splints are and what causes it and how one might go ahead and address that. Right. So shin splints are the very typical culprit of the too much too soon. It's usually inflammation to the posterior tibialis muscle, which is a muscle that's just right behind the tibia bone on your shin. So if you kind of feel the inside of your shin bone and it feels a little tender, that's usually an early sign of shin splints there. Typical treatment people do is again to strengthen that muscle, that posterior tibialis. I'm working on a bunch of ankle movements and using that muscle. But again, a typical cause is not the posterior tibialis muscle itself. It's usually that that muscle is overcompensating for weakness somewhere else. You know, it sounds like we're repeating ourselves over and over again, but it's usually um, usually the case. You know, some other muscle can't handle the too much too soon. So less use of that muscle and more use of the posterior tibialis can lead to the posterior tibialis having to handle more than it should. And it leads to inflammation and pain in that shin bone there. And again, treating the the that muscle, the posterior tibialis, it's, it's not going to hurt. And it's definitely going to feel better and it'll be a good thing. And you can strengthen to the point where it'll be able to handle that extra load. But if you continue to push more and more, you know, gather more miles, you know, more problems will come up if you don't find the root cause of what caused that. And um, so, yeah, the big thing with that, with that is, again, getting, getting rid of the pain. The ice is definitely going to help in that immediate kind of care. But if you want to keep, you know, pushing yourself, getting more miles, you know, keep going up and up with your running, you really want to try, to try to treat the cause and not the effect. One of the things that especially brand new runners uh, deal with is when they do too much too soon. Part of part of how you become how your body adapts to the process of running is that literally you know your bones become stronger. Like they did something I forget what it was, but they autopsied somebody who'd been running for like sixty years, and his femurs were like iron, right? Like he had like the densest bones you can imagine because the constant impact, you know, running for that long for so many years 
allowed his bones to become just incredibly good and dense shock absorbers. So there, when you when you experience shin splints, it's it's a it's also an inflammation. It can be a bone injury. And if you continue to run on chronic shin splints, I believe that can lead to things like stress fractures. Does that uh, happen occasionally? Definitely, yeah. So shin splints itself isn't a stress fracture, but it, it can lead to it for sure because that posterior tibialis muscle that we're talking about, it attaches to the shin. And if it, if it keeps pulling and pulling, that's what the pain you're feeling is pulling on that bone. And eventually, if you keep running through it, it pulls too much and starts pulling that bone apart. And that is what a stress fracture is. So those can be... Um, those can get very dangerous very quickly because once you get a stress fracture, that's a broken bone and you have no choice but to not run through that for weeks at least. Yeah, that's I try I, I try not to be a fear monger, but there are some things where it's like, look, I if you if you're gonna ask me if you should run on your shin splints, I'm gonna tell you no. And this is why. I mean, there are very few things where it's like, you know, I'm not gonna tell you to run through injury, but I am going to tell you the reason why it's so important not to do too much too soon because you can end up with stress fractures where you do need to, you know, be in a little walking boot or take six to eight weeks or more off, that sort of thing. Like the end result of running through injuries like this is serious. And that's why we tell you to be cautious and in increasing your mileage and be cautious, especially for new runners in loading your plate with too much running too fast. So let's, let's move around to the other side, the backside of our calves and talk about our calf muscles. Cause you mentioned before we we're talking about vertical oscillation about calf tightness. So, um, I, interestingly enough, a couple weeks ago, got two messages asking about soleus pain when they, people run. So, um, tell us what the, so the, tell us about the, the muscles in the calf, what the soleus muscle is and why people might feel a pain or a burning sensation in their soleus or their calves in general when they are running. Right. So you look at your calf muscle, you got that big juicy muscle right there. And that's the gastroc muscle, the gastrocnemius. Underneath that is kind of a longer skinnier muscle that goes all the way down to the back of your heel and kind of goes with that Achilles. And that's your soleus. So your soleus sits kind of underneath and behind that big gastroc muscle. And they really work in unison. Um, so with calf strains or soleus pain, again, it's usually a very typical culprit of too much too soon. And what really causes it is when you're looking at a person's gait pattern, you know, we always say push with the tush, right? When you're, when you're, when you're striding, you want to activate those glute muscles with each stride when you're pushing off. Um, but some people, you'll see they have overactive calf muscles, you know, with calf being the gastroc and the soleus as a group. And if those are too overactive, you're going to push more off of your toes than you are with your glutes. And that can lead to one, uh, too much of a vertical bounce, and then two, you know, overuse of those muscles. And if you continue to overwork them, they can lead to strains and sprains and that soleus pain that you're describing. I think a lot of people, when they uh, experience a burning sensation when they run on their muscles, they tend to mistake it for lactate buildup or what we commonly refer to as lactic acid, which we say, oh, when your muscles are burning, you know, it's, it's lactic acid, it's lactate. Uh, which I have a whole diatribe about lactate versus lactic acid and how people use them interchangeably when they're actually different things. But um, <laughs> uh, that's part of the why gait patterns and having proper running form is so um, important because the way that you run can influence which muscles are used. And if you're not using the correct muscles, or if you're using muscles that shouldn't be used more than the muscles that should be used, that's when you end up with these weird sensations, burning sensations or imbalances. 
Aside from the calf muscles, what are some other muscle groups that if they have a, I don't want to say a bad running form, but like, are there any other common things you can think of where people might have improper running form that are contributing to weird sensations elsewhere? Yeah. So I was looking at a, uh, a running form of a friend of mine, actually, and he overstrided just a little bit. So really quick with overstriding, people kind of associate heel striking with overstriding and heel striking in and itself isn't really a bad thing. It's just usually associated with people who overstride, which means they reach their foot too far in front of them when they land. And when you, when you do that, you're landing in front of your center of your gravity and you're using your hamstrings to pull more than they should in a typical gait pattern. So when you're pulling more with your hamstrings, you're using your hamstrings way too much when you kind of land too much in front of you with your overstriding. And that leads to a lot of hamstring tightness, hamstring pain, and, and stuff like that that goes on in the hamstring. That's definitely a very big one with gait too. And it's something very easy to diagnose too. If you look at your gait pattern from the side and you pause it where your foot lands, your foot should be almost directly underneath your body. And you'll see a lot of new runners who tend to heel strike, not always, but tend to heel strike. And they'll land about a few inches in front of their body. And you can tell that, you know, it's just something's not right there. And then you'll have some hamstring tightness associated with that. And that's definitely a a very common one I see. Yeah. And like you said, I mean, that's something that you can video yourself doing. Like just set up your phone, you know, run by it in profile, pause it when your, uh, you know, leading foot touches the ground and then just draw a line, draw a straight line from your head to your hips down and your foot your landing foot should be at the bottom of that line. If it's in front of that line, when you hit, when your foot hits the ground, that is overstriding. Yep, exactly. And it's very, very common. Uh, I was a terrible overstrider when I was a newer runner. <laughs> and overstriding can also be the cause or contribute to some of these common running injuries that we've been talking about, especially when it comes to knee issues, right? It definitely can. Yeah, it's, it's weird. Every person's very unique. So you can have two runners have the same exact overstride, and, you know, one might compensate in a different way than another, and they'll both have like two different symptoms of that. And, you know, that's where saying a physical therapist might really help to be able to diagnose, you know, what's the cause of it and how are you compensating and, and what can we do about it? Uh, calves. Okay. So we did, uh, we did calf muscles. Ooh, Achilles. Oh, this is a big one. Achilles issues. Talk to us about what the Achilles tendon is and the main types of Achilles pain that people might experience. Yeah, so Achilles really goes hand in hand with the soleus, which you already really talked about and went over. You know, tearing your Achilles is something that's really not going to happen when you're running unless you really, really, really push yourself, but you'll feel way too much pain before you can do that. But yeah, it really goes hand in hand with the calf and the soleus because it really attaches and does the same function as them. In terms of just pain you feel and the uh, treatment, again, it's really the same. Those eccentric calf raises are really going to help you with the Achilles. Again, it's usually a culprit of too much too soon or having too much bounce in your gait pattern. And then a lot of people, so I had uh, pretty bad insertional Achilles uh, tendon issues. So where your Achilles, Achilles attaches to the back of your heel, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so people can have like where their actual Achilles tendon feels sore. And then they can also feel like what I felt with the insertional Achilles tendon issue, which is that soreness at the attachment point. Do you treat those the same with the uh, heel drops and strengthening calf muscles? Yeah, so... Yeah, you definitely can. The I think the pain you're describing is more of like, I don't want to say a bone spur, but a little bit of that. So so we were talking about how we said earlier, when you're running, you really strengthen your bones as much as you do your muscles. Um, if you're doing too much too soon with your Achilles, 
it's really pulling on that the back of your heel bone there. And if you're you're growing too fast, too soon by doing too much with your Achilles, you're really pulling that bone more than it should be being pulled. And that's where you'll feel a lot of that pain from. Um, with the with the bone spur, it's usually kind of a rest, almost almost like a stress fracture kind of injury. You know, the bone injuries we can't really just kind of let them do what they do. Um, but again, it really takes a lot to get to that point. Usually you'll feel too much pain and it'll be just kind of an Achilles injury before it becomes a bone spur kind of injury. This is completely off topic, but I know that some uh, very prominent elite runners have undergone surgery recently or in the past couple of years for Haglund's deformity. I know Galen Rupp had this surgery a couple of years ago. Uh, what, and I'm just curious, what is a Haglund's deformity and why would one, because I think it's a bone thing, right? Like why yep. would one have surgery on that and, and what's going on there? So yeah, it's, 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 pretty, it's, it's just an, a letter name for like a bone spur kind of what we were just talking about. Um, if you're pulling too much on that, on that bone, you really have like a, like a big bump on the back of your heel from that bone growing too quickly from your Achilles pulling on it. And so the surgery is just going to kind of cut down on that bone a little bit to, cause you know, if it gets too wide and too big, it can get very painful, very fast. So the surgery is just kind of, you know, cutting down that bone and, and it, it could be just from, you know, lots and lots of running, you know, like I mentioned the elite runners having it, they run hundreds of miles a week. So that's. It's a lot of stress on that bone you're putting back there. Yeah, I remember reading when he had his surgery done. It's something like, oh, it's a, I think they tried to describe it as like a hereditary thing. Like, oh, he was just born with it. And I was like, but he's like 30. He wouldn't have had this taken care of years ago if it were that big of a deal. So it makes a lot more sense that it's something that can develop over time in certain people, depending yeah. on you know how much they run. I could definitely understand like being born, maybe predisposed to it if you have like excessive bone growth, but it's definitely something that'll come with a lot of, and a lot of running. Yeah. A lot of running <laughs> for years. Right. right. <laughs> so we talked briefly, you mentioned about, uh, ankle mobility. So I feel like a lot of runners are, um, it, it, it's hard to figure out where to focus, right? Are the knees the big issue? Obviously hips are vitally important, but I don't feel like we pay enough attention to our ankle strength and our ankle mobility. Can you just describe the importance of the ankle in running so people understand what it is that it does? Definitely, yeah. So it's very not often we're running on a completely flat surface. So every time we land, our ankle has to adjust before the rest of our body hits um, how we're gonna how we're gonna land. The ankle has to adjust its foot to land on the ground. And with every surface that's kind of uneven or uneven terrain, we're we're adjusting with every step. So, you know, over time, your ankle's gonna get tight, it's gonna begin to use a lot. So being able to have a mobile ankle, being able to move that a lot, it's gonna have you be able to adjust to all different kinds of terrain. So we see it a lot in trail runners too, who run on rocks like all the time. It's a very big thing in trail runners that they'll have like very limited ankle mobility. And it really, you know, may not always cause an injury, but again, it's one of those things that you look at and it may cause like less efficient running. So if you wanna get the most out of your running, ankle mobility is a great place to start. I do get uh, occasional questions, which are, um, you know, vaguely just asking about ankle pain. And I mean, I, I don't really have an answer about ankle pain because, you know, it, one, if, unless it's like an acute injury, like you sprained your ankle because you rolled it. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're really talking about, there aren't a lot of muscles in your ankle. We're probably talking about a ligament or a tendon issue, right? In most cases. Yeah. I mean, there actually are a very ton of very small muscles in your ankle and your whole foot in general. But those aren't really going to be a problem when you're running, or they won't be the, the cause of the problem, I should say. 
a lot of things that are, as you were talking about with shin splints, that feel like bone injuries are your bone being pulled on by the thing that's attached to it. Do you feel like that's a fair description of like, so like you could have ankle pain that feels like it's your ankle bone, but it could be your, the tendon or a ligament in your ankle that's actually being pulled on from somewhere else and causing what feels like pain in your ankle. Oh yeah, 100%. I mean, every muscle in your body is connected to a bone in one way or another. And, you know, it's really, really think about, we, we don't move our bones, it's our muscles that move our bones. So, you know, any kind of bone feeling injury, unless you just, you know, fall and break your bone, it's obviously a different thing completely. But any kind of like overuse bone related injury is definitely due to a muscle in some way or another. So let's talk about a, a big foot one. Now that we're down all the way down to our feet, plantar fasciitis. I get a lot of questions about plantar fasciitis and uh, how much it sucks <laughs> because it does. Tell us what plantar fasciitis is, what it feels like, and then what a common course of treatment might be. Right. So plantar, again, fasciitis, the itis is just the inflammation of the plantar fascia, which is just the bottom of your foot. It usually starts more in the heel, and as it gets worse, it'll work its way down to the toes. It's usually a culprit of too much too soon or maybe compensation for weakness. And this one's very tough to treat because it's one that running usually always makes worse. And the fascia itself is kind of like the IT vein. It's not a muscle in and of itself. And the fascia actually gets a lot less blood flow than the muscles do. So with plantar fasciitis, if the fascia is inflamed, it's going to take a lot longer to recover because it's not getting enough nutrients that it needs just because naturally it just gets less blood flow. So that's definitely a very frustrating one for runners to have because, you know, there's not much, and there's stuff you can do to strengthen it and treat it, but it's definitely not one you could run through in most cases. And it's one that's going to take us time to really get better and go away. But this is, this is definitely one of those up the chain injuries. Like your, your fascia doesn't just become spontaneously inflamed. Like something is pulling on it or you're moving in a way that's making you move your foot in a way that is causing inflammation. It's not like, you know, it's not like it just happens. It's being caused by something else, right? Right. Definitely. Definitely. It's definitely usually somewhere up the chain or just, again, looking at someone's gait pattern and if they're running in a very, um, you know, different way something you can identify there, but it's definitely not the cause of itself. Do pronation patterns have anything to do with plantar fasciitis? People who supinate or overpronate are more or less prone to plantar fasciitis? A little bit. It can, yeah, because the fascia does stretch a little bit and contract when you're pronate and supinate. So if, you know, if you're moving it too much like that, that can be the root of it. But um, I would say in most cases, it's definitely earlier what we said, just, just kind of the, uh, causes somewhere else up the chain. So our last injury we're going to discuss here, this is a really interesting one. Um, Peroneal tendonitis. Uh, as far as I can tell, this is a, a tendonitis about a tendons on the top of your foot. And so it's like, it's not, it's not foot bone pain, but it's a, a inflammation that might occur from the peroneal tendon, which runs across the top of your foot. I got a couple questions about this one too, which I thought was really interesting that people are like experiencing that kind of top of foot inflammation. What, what is this? What's going on here? Again, so we got another itis injury. It just means some inflammation of the tendons. This is one to kind of quickly differentiate too, because you can have pain on the top of your foot that's very similar to just having your shoes too tight. 
So it's something, you know, might loosen your shoes, see so you feel better, and, and, and that might just be it. It might not be appendix at all. But um, it's also could be something. So the, uh, the fibular, the peroneal tendon, it kind of runs between your ankle and your uh, heel bone, and it kind of goes to the top of your foot. So, you know, anywhere from where the muscle starts all the way down your leg to your foot, anywhere there can be the, uh, the cause of the pain. And those are really get activated when you kind of evert your foot. So if you kind of try to lift the pinky side of your feet, those that really activates that tendon there. So if you have pain with keeping it from the ground and lifting the pinky side, the pinky toe part of your foot, um, that's usually a tall tail sign of tendonitis there. And it's not usually a motion used a lot in running, except again, for those trail runners too, who are running very unevenly, because we don't really evert our foot when we run on flat ground. If you're running through rocks and hills and stuff constantly in that uneven terrain, that's when you're definitely going to use that ankle mobility and you're going to use those uh, peroneal tendons more and those, and that's when those can come into flame. And something I'd like to pro, you know, point out for our listeners is that when we talk about the concept of doing too much too soon, it's about making any drastic changes too suddenly. So if you are a lifelong road runner who runs 70 miles a week, totally injury-free, and then you decide to run all of your miles next week on the trail, you might pick up some weird stuff because you did too much trail running too soon, or you are used to running on completely flat ground and you decide to run next week, you know, 4,000 feet of elevation gain. You did too many hills too soon. So it's not just about increasing volume too quickly that it could be too much too soon. It can just be any drastic change in the conditions that you run in. Right. Yeah. And your body will tell you that by, by being sore the next day. And, you know, being sore is okay. It's normally a good thing, but you don't want to keep pushing through that soreness. You want to let your body have enough time to recover before you push it again. A good thing we always go by, I don't know if you talked about it before, is that the 10% rule of your weekly mileage. So however many miles you run this week, take 10% of that, add it on to next week, and that's the most you should be running the next week. So that's a good way to increase your mileage at a very steady pace that should keep you away from all these too much, too soon kind of injuries. Yes, I'm a big fan of the 10%, like 10% max, like increase by no more than 10%. Like you you can increase by 1% or 5%, you know, and especially as you start to run higher and higher mileage, you know, if you're running 60 miles a week, 10% 60 to 66, like that might be a little bit too much week to week if you're in an actively mileage building phase. So it's all about learning to listen to what your body is capable of sustaining. And part of that is just having the experience of running enough. Definitely. And then while we're talking numbers, another one, the, um, the 80-20 rule, 80% of your mile should be easy runs and 20% should be the more faster tempo paced runs because that gives your body enough time to recover. Even on the easy days, you know, you're stressing your body with every run, but the easier days, your body can recover so much more quickly and you'll still get those miles in. So that's why that 80-20 rule is important too. Oh, I'm a massive fan of the 80-20 rule and easy running. It's like my goal in life is to get people to slow down on their easy days. Yeah, I'm with you there. I'm with you there. Because a lot of the injuries that we've just talked about, um, when you run too fast and too hard all the time, it makes you so much more injury prone. So if you're constantly dealing with these injuries that pop up and won't go away, or like you get one vanquish and then another one shows up and you're doing your strengthening work, you're working on your hips and your mobility, you're doing your core, like you're doing all the things you should be doing and you're still getting injured, really revisit the intensity of your everyday easy runs because you might be running too fast and just stressing your body too much for it to be able to recover from. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, our bodies are very, very adaptable. You'd be surprised, but we just have to give them the time to be able to adapt and recover before we keep pushing and pushing them. 
So one more thing before I let you go. I'm always curious to hear professional opinions on how big of a difference your shoes can make in your injury prevention, injury recovery. People are always asking like, what shoes should I wear for plantar fasciitis? Or what shoes should I wear if I have IT band syndrome? And my answer to them is basically like, it, it's not the shoes. It's almost never the shoes. And your shoes are not going to fix the problem in most cases. What do you have to say about that? Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, it might be an unpopular opinion, but I, I agree with you there. I mean, a lot of people like to say, oh, I have shin splints. What shoes should I wear? And then say, oh, try these shoes. And they feel better. You feel better running in them. But, um, you, you know, if you continue pushing your mileage, even in those shoes, the, the shin splint pain may come back. I think the shoes are just a way for us to compensate for not using the muscles that we need to use that are weak. So if you use shoes to help fix a problem, then the problem might go away. But the muscle's not getting any stronger. It's actually getting weaker if we're not using it with the shoes. So it, just, it could just lead to a bigger problem in the future. And not to say that like having shoes to help fix a problem is a bad thing, but you really got to address the root of the problem if you really want to get over it. Um, but yeah, so I mean, again, shoes are really just a big comfortability thing, whatever shoes you're comfortable in, but you don't want to get shoes to compensate for an injury of sort, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, definitely. If you're if you're looking for shoes that will help, and of course there are always exceptions. There are people who have incredibly flat feet. There are people who actually do need to run with orthotics for whatever reason. That's not to say that this is like a you should ditch all your stability shoes and only run in neutral flats. Like, no, please don't. Um, <laughs> but if you're using a shoe to prop up the thing, the injury that's caused by weakness, you know, you're not using that muscle, you get stronger by using the muscle that's causing the issue at the end of the day. Yep, definitely. That's why I always say, you know, look for shoes that'll help you be a better runner instead of helping you be a healthier runner. What's your opinion on like the carbon plate and rocker shoes and how that changes people's gait? Because I personally am a fan of them um, for racing, not like for everyday stuff. But, you know, I think it's so interesting because there are shoes designed to change how we run right yeah so um i wasn't sure how i felt about them until i ran a race in the vapor fives and i absolutely love them um i mean you could just feel the spring of a difference i really think like it helps with that push off it almost like pushes off i don't want to say for you i mean it's not that you know that high tech or that that advantage but um it definitely you could definitely feel a little bit of help and a little bit of spring in your step when you're running with carbon fiber plates um, but again, those are a, like a performance kind of technology, I feel like, because, you know, carbon is not a soft material in and of itself. You know, it's, it's going to be running, just running on carbon plate. It's going to be like running in cement. Um, but it'll definitely help you with push off. So I don't, I don't want to say use it as an everyday shoe because you definitely need a little more like cushion and support in other ways than, than a carbon plate. And, you know, performance wise, that's a different argument for yourself. If you want to say they're legal or shouldn't be legal, stuff like that. But um, I'm not going to say in terms of like running and racing performance, at least me personally, um, I love them. Yeah. I was also, I, uh, I scored a pair of Vaporflies at the Nike outlet. And so of course I bought them, you know, just to have, and I figured worst case scenario, I'd sell them on eBay and I ran a half and a full in them. And I was like sold. And I thought they were just going to be hype. I thought at worst they'll do nothing. And it was it was weird. So the biggest thing for me is I actually felt less fatigued. I don't know if it's because maybe I didn't push hard enough. I felt less fatigued in the days after those races than I had in the past. And admittedly, I was fitter, 
But usually, you know, it takes a couple of weeks to really feel right after a marathon. And I was back to normal within like 10 days. Do, do, like, does that make sense with how the shoes might have anything to do with it? Because I know that is one of their like marketing points. I just don't know if that's real. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm just kind of speculating here. I could see if, if the carbon fiber plate is helping you push off, you're, you're definitely utilizing your muscles a little less. So maybe if you're using them less, you're stressing them less, then it's more of a test on your endurance than it is your muscle endurance, if that makes sense when you're running a race. So maybe maybe you're not using your muscles as much, I guess, when you're running. It's just more of a test of cardiovascular endurance, it could be. But um, again, it's just pure speculation in my part. I don't know any knowledge or research about that. Um, but I, I can see it. I don't know. It's interesting. It's a very interesting topic. Yeah, no, it is. I want to do a whole episode just about shoes one day. It's uh, that's going to be a fun one. So, <laughs> yeah, love carbon plate shoes, like Carmen said, like these are not everyday shoes. Like if you can, tr- if you want to train in a carbon plate shoe every day, first of all, send me money because you clearly have too much of it. <laughs> but <laughs> you know, it is not an everyday trainer. These are performance shoes for a reason. You should wear them for very special workouts and only for race day because that's what they're designed for. So in terms of shoes being specific, like, yes, you can buy shoes that are specific to just, you know, everyday training, track spikes, racing flats, that sort of thing. Carbon play shoes definitely fall into the specialty shoe category, not for everyday training. Right. As of right now, you know, we'll see where technology goes, but as of right now, definitely. Oh my goodness. Can you imagine a world in which every shoe is carbon plated? That would be, I think that's too much. (laughs) We'll see what happens. (laughs) <laughs> this, is, this has been a fantastic conversation i really appreciate you making the time thank you i appreciate you having me on here so if people want to find you i know you're on instagram because that's where we connected where can they find you and, and what kind of stuff do you like to post right so i'm biggest on instagram you know chocolate milk runner all one word that's my handle um you know i try to combine physical therapy with running and a little bit of being fun young living in las vegas so maybe entertainment i don't know but really the big picture for me is just, you know, one day I want to have my own PT clinic, you know, I guess I'm interested in business. I want to kind of incorporate that and have my own thing. And I also want to do it like how I want to do it. Like I said, I could talk about hours and hours about the insurance base versus the private base and how it's like money centered versus patient centered. So I really want to be part of the change that changes physical therapy for the better to be more of like a patient centered kind of, you know, high quality healthcare um, kind of treatment. So I'm really just trying to get myself out there as a future PT for runners and active adults and out here in Vegas and on Instagram and just social media. That's awesome. Well, I, I think you're off to a great start and I can't wait to see the stuff that you continue to post. It's really awesome. So for everybody who hasn't followed Carmen yet, I'm going to post his handle in the show notes. so You can find him directly on Instagram there. And uh, yeah, this has been great. Thank you again. Great. Yeah, this is awesome. Thank you so much. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, you can always find me on Instagram at Running Explained or at my website, runningexplained.co. If you have a question you'd like to have answered, you can submit it in my stories every Monday or email me at elizabeth at runningexplained.co. That's E-L-I-S-A-B-E-T-H at runningexplained.co. Until next time, happy running! This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition.